Welcome back to Hitchcock Chronologically, the podcast where me, Jeff, goes through all of Alfred Hitchcock's movies in the order that they were made every Wednesday in the month of 20, the month of 2020, the year of 2021. I'm going to take a look at these movies and, uh, you know, I'm halfway done, halfway done. And uh, we're taking a look at Shadow of a Doubt from 1943. And uh, from what I've read, this is Alfred Hitchcock's favorite of his own films. That's promising. Also looking at this, it's rated 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's promising. Now, my tone is making it sound like I didn't like this movie. We'll see. We'll see. This is the only movie he made in 1943. Uh, so after this, we jump to 1944 for our next movie. But uh, uh, this one stars Teresa Wright as Charlie Newton and Joseph Cotton as Charlie Oakley. So we have two characters named Charlie. Now, Charlie is the niece of Charlie. You following me? Teresa, Newton, Teresa Wright plays Charlie Newton, who is the niece to Charles Oakley, Uncle Charles. Uh, he is the uncle on her mother's side. And the movie opens up with him having some people. He's overseas somewhere. I don't know. But he's like servant comes into the room and says that there's some men looking for him and uh, he realizes that they are authorities and it's time for him to leave and where better to go than to see his uh, sister played by patricia colleen like uh holling c-o-l-l-i-n-g-e uh who plays emma newton uh and about this time, he sends a telegram saying, hey, I'm on my way. Well, Charlie Newton. So what we're going to do, we're going to have Charlie and Uncle Charlie. OK, let's have going to refer to him. So Charlie at this time says, you know what? She's bored with life. She's basically like angsty and depressed, I guess, and decides to in order to get their life rolling again, get the. Uh, shake the cobwebs off, I guess. She says she's going to reach out to her Uncle Charlie, her namesake, and have him come and visit. So as she goes to send this telegram, they receive the telegram that Uncle Charlie's on his way, and she just sees it as a sign of telepathy, that they are spiritually connected to one another. Uh, so they show Charlie on the train to uh, the city that the Newtons live in, and uh, he is pretending to be sick. So he's like sequestered himself behind some curtains on this train. Uh, and he limps off of the train like he's tremendously injured. But as soon as the train pulls away, he walks totally normal and healthy. And uh, young Charlie is glad to see Uncle Charlie. There is strangely, I don't know if this is how it's shot or what, but the way they embrace each other feels romantic. And there's several scenes like that where you're, it just feels wrong. Now, nothing happens from a uh, 
incestuous perspective, but it just seems out of place. Now, granted, it was a different time. What do I know? Maybe that's how nieces and uncles who you haven't seen in ages, they act like they know each other so well. But they establish that Charlie, Uncle Charlie, is pretty absent. Um, they know him to be wealthy, though. He's got quite a bit of money to the point where he's, uh, you know, young Charlie's dad works at a bank. It's like a teller, though, uh, and says, hey, I'm going to get some my money and put it in your bank. It's like 30 grand. Uh, but of course, that's 1940s money, which is quite a bit. That's quite a bit now, but it's even more back in 1943. Uh, and this is when, uh, so Uncle Charlie has some gifts that he gives away, one of which is a ring with an inscription on it that he didn't realize was there, but he gives it to young Charlie and she sees it. And they, how do I put this? They find a newspaper. Well, they have a newspaper. Uh, Mr. Newton, the father, is uh, gets his newspaper and, and, and old Uncle Charlie is reading it. And he sees it. Um, an article about something. We're not sure what. And in order to rip the article out of there without making it look suspicious, he makes a paper house of it and shows Anne. Now, Anne is the younger sister of young Charlie, who is fantastic in this movie. She's, I don't know how old, maybe seven or eight, but she's a bookworm. She's a know-it-all and she plays it perfectly. Uh, and so she's not impressed by this house he's built, but he only uses it as a way to dispose of an article. And uh, young Charlie is savvy to this and says, I know what you're doing. There's something in there that you wanted to hide. And uh, this pisses off Uncle Charlie. And this is the first time you really kind of see his dark side. Uh, Uncle Charlie grabs the wrists uh, of young Charlie and uh, quickly apologizes for hurting her. But this is this is the beginning of the dark side. Um, now, M Mr. Newton, the uh, matriarch, no, patriarch of this house, uh, has a friend. His best friend's name is Herbie Hawkins, and Herb is great. These two have the weirdest relationship where their hobby, the way they unwind, is to discuss different ways to kill each other and get away with it. They're both obsessed with true crime and crime stories, and they argue over whether Sherlock Holmes is really that good of a detective or not. And then uh, they spend a lot of time discussing ways they would kill each other, like best friends tend to do. You can talk all you like about Sherlock Holmes. That little Frenchman beats them all. I read it. Air bubbles don't necessarily kill a person. Those writers from the other side get too fancy. The best way to commit a murder... I know, I know. Hit him on the head with a blunt instrument. Well, it's true, isn't it? Listen, if I wanted to murder you tomorrow, do you think I'd waste my time on fancy hypodermics? Or on any? What's that? Any. Indian arrow poison. Listen, oh. I'd find out if you were alone, walk in, hit you on the head with a piece of lead pipe or a loaded cane... What'd be the fun of that? Where's your planning? Where's your clues? I don't want any clues. I want to murder you. What do I want with clues? Well, if you haven't got any clues, where's your book? 
I'm not talking about writing books. I'm talking about killing you. Well, if I was going to kill you, I wouldn't do a dumb thing like hitting you on the head. First of all, I don't like the fingerprint angle. Of course, I could always wear gloves, press your hands against the pipe after you were dead and make you look like a suicide. <laughs> Except it don't seem hardly likely that you'd beat yourself to death with a club. I'd murder you so it didn't look like murder. Now, those are best friends. I love these two. Uh, just what a weird relationship, but it somehow feels genuine and fun. Like you would spend your days, you know, you know how friends call each other asshole and jerk and they just sort of be mean to each other as a way to uh, show their affection because we're men and we're not supposed to be affectionate. Um, but this is so funny. I, I, this is one of my favorite scenes. Uh, well, young Charlie is curious about the article that has gone missing from the paper. And, uh, she digs through the trash to find it. And Anne, who's awesome again, is sees her doing this. And, she, you know, young Charlie's not trying to startle anyone and just says, Hey, no, I'm just looking for a recipe. And, uh, she says, well, if you're looking for a recipe, the, the library has all the old newspapers. Oh, when can I go to the library? Is it still open? Well, if you read as much as you should, you'd know it closes at nine. I love her. She's great. So uh, young Charlie heads down to the library and sees that uh, the article that was missing from the paper is about the Mary Widow murderer. There's a serial killer that they are on the look for. And there are these two detectives who are posing as like newspaper guys just trying to get a story on the average family. And uh, that's how they because they suspect Uncle Charles. And he doesn't want his picture taken and they sneak a picture uh, of him and Uncle Charles tries to get the film back, but they pull a, a switch. So they still have the real picture. And uh, in that article, the initials of the person who was murdered match the initials engraved in the ring that was given to young Charlie. So at this point, young Charlie's pretty convinced that he's the murderer and, uh, he, she, so they're at dinner. Okay. Another night. And, uh, our good friend Herb comes over and, uh, all things murder talks of murder start to annoy Charlie because she believes that uncle Charles is a murderer. And of course, Uncle, uh, not Uncle, but Herb and uh, Mr. Newton decide to spend more time talking about how they're going to kill each other. And this freaks her out. And her mom's like, well, that's just how your dad and uh, Mr. Herb like to unwind. Like, it's just super normal. Um, but this finally gives Uncle Charles the he now knows that she definitely suspects something. And uh he follows her as she storms out and they end up at this bar and they have a discussion about what she knows. And he, she hands her the, him the ring and basically confesses, Hey, I know something's up with you and it looks like you're this killer. And, uh, he all but admits it. He doesn't really admit it, but he, the whole time there's several moments where he's just super sinister. Um, and at that dinner where they're talking about murder before she stands out, he, essentially his sister 
Mrs. Newton, uh, young Charlie's mom, says, hey, we're doing this women's thing. And uh, Uncle Charles to do a speech at some sort of women's thing. Now, I don't understand why you would need him to do it or why he's qualified. But uh, this brings out an unprompted speech of his at this dinner table about how he feels about women. Charles, I promised Mrs. Green, the president of our club, that you'd talk to the ladies. And she wants to know what you're going to talk about. Well, what am I going to talk about? Lecturers usually give them uh, travel or current events, don't they? Oh, Charles, not current events. We get current events. What sort of an audience will it be? Oh, women like myself, busy with our homes, most of us. Women keep busy in towns like this. The cities, it's different. The cities are full of women, middle-aged widows, husbands dead, husbands who've spent their lives making fortunes, working and working. And then they die and leave their money to their wives, their silly wives. What do the wives do, these useless women? You see them in the hotels, the best hotels every day by the thousands. Drinking the money, eating the money, losing the money at bridge, playing all day and all night, smelling of money. Proud of their jewelry, but of nothing else. Horrible. Faded, fat, greedy women. But they're alive, they're human beings. Are they? Are they, Charlie? Are they human or are they fat, wheezing animals? Hmm? What happens to animals when they get too fat and too old? Well, I seem to be making my speech right here. Well, for heaven's sake, don't talk about women like that in front of my club. This guy sounds like an expert on feminism. Oh, my gosh. Like, if you didn't know he was the murderer... You do now. I mean, because it's the guy, the person they're looking for is the Mary Widow killer. He kills widows and then he has this diatribe. And like I said, so young Charlie storms out. He chases her down. They confront each other at this bar. And then he has another monologue of like an evil villain. You think you're the clever little girl who knows something. There's so much you don't know. So much. What do you know? You're just an ordinary little girl living in an ordinary little town. You wake up every morning of your life and you know perfectly well that there's nothing in the world to trouble you. You go through your ordinary little day and at night you sleep your untroubled, ordinary little sleep filled with peaceful, stupid dreams. And I brought you nightmares. Or did I, or was it a silly, inexpert little lie? You live in a dream. You're a sleepwalker, blind. How do you know what the world is like? Do you know the world is a foul sty? Do you know if you ripped the fronts off houses, you'd find swine? The world's a hell. What does it matter what happens in it? Wake up, Charlie. Use your wits. Learn something. So he's a good dude. What? He's such a good villain. Like the, the two monologues I played for you, he just delivers them so perfectly and uh, so sinister. In, in his portrayal. Uh, so after this, uh, they, she tries to get over things. Uh, Charlie does. She just sorts sort of resigned to live with the fact that her uncle is this murderer because she doesn't want to break her mom's heart by sending uncle Charlie away. Uh, and the police come back. Now there's two detectives, one of which is an older gentleman. The other one is younger and, and has a romantic interest in young Charlie. Uh, they let her know that they have the picture of him and they're sending it to 
like some eyewitnesses or whatever to verify whether or not he was the killer. Well, before they even really get a chance to do that, the young detective comes by and says, hey, I've got good news that we've caught the person who did the murders. We caught the Mary Widow killer. It was this other suspect we had. And while he was running, he ran into propeller blades. Okay. <laughs> it chopped them to bits. Wow. They don't show this or anything, but just heck of a story. And since now that this is essentially case closed, our young detective uh, essentially proclaims his love for Charlie and they're in the garage and the door kind of shuts on them and they get stuck inside briefly. Uh, but they get out. And uh, the reason that's important is because Uncle Charles is outside and they say their goodbyes. And Uncle Charles decides that he wants to stay now with this family instead of leave. Now, even though they get this news that the killer is found. Young Charlie just doesn't buy it. She still believes her uncle is the killer. But now, again, she's just trying to keep this secret. And this could have been the end of the movie, right? This could have been uh, Uncle Charlie just kind of lets things go. But he realizes that young Charlie indeed knows he's this murderer, knows he's the Merry Widow killer. And he decides to sabotage some steps out back. And she falls down them and doesn't really get hurt. But he stands by and watches. You get to see him do it. So you, they don't leave anything to question here. Uh then it's this time for him to deliver his sexist speech in front of all these women uh, that he was going to deliver. And they call a cab and he encourages everyone but young Charlie to go take the cab and has Charlie go get the car. But beforehand, he had started the car and closed the garage so that it fills up with carbon dioxide and you get that he's going to kill her. He's taken the key out of this car. Now, I guess these older cars, you can start and remove the key and keep it running without the key in it. Uh, and so she goes in there and of course the garage door shuts again and she's locked in suffocating inside this garage. Fortunately for her, our good friend Herb comes by master of, uh, knowing about murder and hears that she's suffocating and, uh, Uncle Charles has no choice but to free her. Uh, he kicks the stick he was using to watch the door shut out of the way. And uh, fortunately, young Charlie is saved and she still knows uh, that her uncle is the killer. Uh, but she can't find this ring that was proof, right, that he had done it. Well, she's not feeling well now because she was almost murdered and stays home as they go to do this speech wherever it is. And she takes this chance to find the ring and slips it on her finger. Uh, as she comes downstairs, they're throwing a party for this post-speech thing. And she comes down the stairs as Uncle Charlie is about to propose a toast. And he sees the ring on her finger and he announces that he is indeed going to leave now. Um, now that she has this evidence and a bit of power over him he decides okay i'm out of here uh, i'll leave tomorrow and and aunt what's her name uncle mom that's her name mom is upset about it but anyway he's gonna go get on the train and the kids want to go see the car so she goes with him and the kids the kids get off the train and the train starts moving with young charlie on board 
this is the perfect time for Uncle Charlie to try to murder young Charlie. So he takes her to the door of the train and he's waiting for it to pick up enough speed where she'll die when he dumps her out. Uh, but they have a struggle and uh, he falls out instead and gets ran over by another train. The movie just kind of ends and there's, uh, you know, there's a memorial for him. Nobody actually ever knows that Mr. Uh, Charles Uncle Charles is this murderer, but the detective is there, the young one that she has an interest in, and uh, she lets her know, you know, I knew more than lets him know that I knew more than I put on, and he knew she did, and da 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 da, da. Anyway, the movie ends, okay? Uncle Charles is dead. Now, I, I'm curious as to why this is Hitchcock's favorite of his own movies, because other than the performance of... um. What's his name? Other than the performance of Joseph Cotton, there's really not a lot here. It's fine, but it... It's fine. It's fine. It's nothing special. Uh, I've seen better movies of his in the past, and definitely some better ones coming up in the future. I, the movie kind of moves a little slow. Uh, there's a lot of just dragging and like, there's again, this weird, I don't know. It's, there's just so many scenes that don't feel like they need to be here. It's the movie's an hour and 40 some odd minutes. It probably could have been a buck 20. Um, if it was edited a little bit tighter. Um, but at the end of the day, it's fine. But for being a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes, I was ready to be blown away, but this you know, when people talk about Hitchcock movies, this one doesn't come up. It's always the psychos, the vertigos, the North by Northwest, the birds. And for this being his favorite and sitting at 100 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, you think it'd be this hidden gem, but it's really just fine. It's typical Hitchcock. It's just whatever, you know. So we're moving on to Lifeboat. Uh, is our next movie. Now, this is based on a novel by John Steinbeck. Now, John Steinbeck, I believe, wrote Of Mice and Men. Let me let me fact check that. Yeah, so John Steinbeck wrote Of Mice and Men. I'm sure he's written many other classics, uh, but that's the one that most people know. And apparently he wrote a book called Lifeboat, and uh, Alfred Hitchcock adapted it for film. Uh, that movie... Um, comes out came out in 1944 and i believe uh, that this is the only movie of his to release in 1944 now there are several shorts that he's done uh at this time but again i'm not doing shorts i don't want to i just want to do the feature length films and you can deal with it uh well uh you can reach out to me via email which i'm done saying that nobody wants to email me just look at the budget arcade dis discord link in the description and there is an email link there if you wanted to i'll be back next week I, I, you might think i'm losing my enthusiasm a little bit you might be right i might be going crazy again <laughs>